Amen. We uh, just one little update. We I had mentioned that Earl Surrett um, was at Mass General. He has been transferred to Saint Elizabeth's. For anyone that is planning on visiting, I know Jessica Winecki stopped by Mass General uh, this last week. He's been transferred now to Saint to Saint Elizabeth's. So for those who are interested in stopping by. We started a brand new sermon series for the summer last week on 1 John called Mere Christianity or Basic Christianity. Uh, what, what makes Christians Christians? <laughs> That's kind of the idea behind it. We believe a lot of things that we can disagree about different subjects, but what is the sort of baseline? What is mere Christianity? And last week we talked about fellowship. That John, this is the elder John, the apostle John is an older man writing to a church. Uh, he dealt with the issue of fellowship. Fellowship first and foremost with God, and then fellowship with one another. Now we're going to look at love. <laughs> love, that's the next subject here from 1 John 2, 1 through 11. You might say, isn't that out of order? Don't you need love first to have fellowship? No, actually, in John's mind, you have fellowship first that's created through Christ, and love comes next. Love comes as an outpouring of fellowship. But love really is the mark of a Christian. It's the mark of a Christian. It's what Christians, in their best light, throughout church history, have been known for. Willing to love everyone. Willing to love anyone. Willing to take the babies that were laid out for infanticide into their own homes and adopt them as their own children. Willing to go into plague-infested towns and care for the sick. Willing to go where no one else is willing to go and help those in greatest need. That's the mark of a Christian. I said, where do they get, where do we, where is Christians, where do we get this motivation to love? Uh, See, the thing is, we don't just love things that are lovable. That's easy. Jesus said, if you love only your friends, that's no big deal. I mean, even the pagans do that, he said. That's, very li- that's a very limited view of love. Where, where do they get this motivation to love? Do you love only when you feel like loving? That's pretty easy too. What about when you feel empty? <laughs> you don't feel like loving. Or you love things that are unlovable. Or you love when you're hurt by someone or something. Love even your enemies. The call for us is for us to love everyone and always. It's the mark of a Christian. Friends, how are we doing with this? Do we love well? Uh, Christian faith oftentimes is marked by other marks. Lesser marks, I would say. Tradition. Maybe being a little out of touch with the culture. Being a little judgy. And even sometimes they're, they're marked by good things. Christianity can mark by good things. Other good things, but still not the primary thing. Not marked by a church that's strong on doctrine. Well, doctrine is good. I believe doctrine is a good thing. But that shouldn't be the, the one mark that stands up above everything else. Or they're marked by being anti-something else. Right? You're, this is a church that's, that's anti-this or anti-that. Well, that's not a good thing either. Yes, in one sense, when we're pro-Christ and we want to follow Him, there are certain things we want to exclude, we want to recognize as harmful and not good. But our, our mark is not to be anti-anything else. Or even just being a charismatic church or whatever it may be. What are we most known for? The mark of a Christian, according to John, according to the Word of God, is love. Turn with me into 1 John chapter 2, 1 through 11. It'll be up on the screen if you'd like to follow along or you can grab your Bible. And then, as always, as an outline, we can follow, you can follow along if we, as we go through it. 1 John chapter 2, 1 through 11. 
He writes to the church, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Friends, we love. We love as we have been loved by God. We love as we have been loved by God. Verses 1 through 2. God has loved us. He has loved us enough to give us a Savior. He has loved us enough to give us the thing that is most precious to Him. His only Son. Look what he says here. Uh, John talks about the, what the Father has done for us. We start there. Not what we do in love for God, but first what God has done for us. And he starts off by calling, them, uh, calling the people he's writing to, my little children. <laughs> my little children. I love that. It's a, he's talking about spiritually, obviously. Uh, but notice that a term of endearment. Again, John's an old man. And he's saying, uh, you're my spiritual children in the faith. Uh, a term of love, of relationship. Uh, they're a family, they're a spiritual family. They're like children to him. And he loves them, he cares for them. He's going to say some hard things in this short letter to this church, but he actually genuinely loves them. He says, I'm writing to you so that you don't sin. I mean, that's the, the goal. We're trying to pursue holiness. I, I want you to mature in the faith. Uh, I want you to walk in the truth. We talked about that. Uh, to do the truth, to walk in the light. So, yes, the goal is that you don't sin. That's, I'm, I'm trying to help you away from sin to pursue God. But he says, but if we do sin, and really what he means is when, right? When you sin, because that's going to happen, he wants to remind them we have an advocate, we have a, a defense before God. We have a, uh, what's called a parakletos in the Greek. Uh, uh, one who comes to our side, relationally speaking here. Now the interesting thing is that, that parakletos is almost always used, actually I think this is the only place it's used of Jesus. In every other place it's used of the Holy Spirit. But here, Jesus is the one who comes to our defense. He's the advocate on our behalf. And he describes him, verse 2, that Jesus is the propitiation. Uh, that's not a word we use in everyday life, is it? My guess is this week at work, you didn't go up to somebody and say, what do you think about propitiation? It's just not something we use in everyday language. What does that mean? Um, it's a very unique word. 
kind of a controversial word, even in, in New Testament Greek, actually. Um, what it actually means, and it's kind of a, a dark world that was used in the pagan world, actually. Uh, it means two things. Um, and some, that's what the debate is. Does it mean one more than the other? Uh, one, it means to send away sin. Uh, so if, if a deity um, was going to bring, was, was, you know, somebody sinned against the deity, to propitiate would mean to send away the sin. But more than that, it also means to turn away wrath. So if that deity in this pagan world was angry about this sin, and he was going to bring judgment on that town or something like that, you would need to propitiate him. Satisfy him, or it, or her, or whatever it is. Turn away its anger and its wrath. Well, I think what John is doing, of course, is he's sanctifying the word. He's bringing it into the Christian world. He doesn't mean it in the same exact way that it would be used in the pagan world. But he's saying, Jesus is the one who sends away our sin. Jesus is the one who turns away the wrath of God. Meaning his just, fair judgment upon sin. And he does as he says, not only for us, he came as a propitiation, not only for us, but for the sins of the whole world. Of course, he's not saying that everybody's sins are automatically forgiven. He's saying Jesus' death is sufficient for everyone, <laughs> everyone in the world. There's enough, there's enough to go around, I think it was uh, George Whitfield that said, for 10,000 worlds. I mean, his death would satisfy any number of sinners that would come, but it's effective for those who turn in faith to Christ. But notice, friends, the, the Christian faith starts with God's love. See, we oftentimes, as human beings, we want to start with us. <laughs> we're so great. Uh, we're the center of the universe. God, would be, God should be really grateful if I decide to follow Him. Right? That's kind of where we start. Like, we deserve this great amount of love. We're the center of the universe. God should be happy to have us. That's not where the Bible starts. It kind of turns that whole thing upside down. God's the center of the universe. And God is completely, fully satisfied, happy, joyful, whatever word you want to use, in Himself with nothing else but Himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect communion with one another. So then why does God create us from the beginning? Uh, not because He's bored. <laughs> but God would be really boring without us. No, no, that's not true. God is fully satisfied. Not because He needs us. Sometimes I hear that God needs us. He doesn't need us. He does it out of the overflow of his love. He creates us ultimately for his own glory, but that we could be joyful in him. He makes us out of love. Why did God save us? Same reason. It would be completely fair for God to judge us based on our sin with no saving. That's, that's, that's fair. That's just. That's right for God to do that. But because of his love, he sends us Jesus as a Savior. See, God loves to display his love. <laughs> it brings him glory when the universe, angels and all of creation, sees his great love for us. God's love is where the Christian faith starts. But this is how we love. We love because we've first been loved by God. I've heard it described like a love tank. Right? It's hard to love when you've got an empty love tank. <laughs> but you've got nothing in there. You're feeling empty. You've got nothing. But when your love tank is filled, you feel greatly loved by others, let's say, it's easier to love. Well, the reason why Christians could go into those plague-infested cities and risk their lives and 
disrupt their homes to help adopt these children is because their love tank is so full with the love of God. And understand that God loves you. How do I know he loves you? Because he created you, first of all. You exist. And he didn't need to add that. God had a choice. He could choose not to create you very easily. But he made you. And more than that, he gave his son for you. And God didn't have any need to do that either. He loves you. Understand that. Be filled with a sense that you are on this planet loved by your creator. Understand, God loves the world, as he says here. Uh, And as we see in John 3.16. As he died not only for our sins, he says, but sufficient for the sins of the whole world. So, in other words, go tell people that God loves the world enough to send his son to save those who would turn in faith to him. I would just encourage you to tell God. (laughs) Thank God. Be grateful for it. Praise him for it. Sing about it. Soak it up and receive it. I think it's C.S. Lewis who said, when we praise something, uh, our joy actually increases in the thing we're praising. So if you love baseball, what do you want to do? You want to talk about baseball because you enjoy baseball. And when you talk about baseball, your love for baseball only grows and your joy in baseball only grows even all the more. So the same is true of God. When we recognize his love for us and we praise him for it and talk about it and share it, we recognize his love all the more and our joy in that love only increases. And I would just say, friends, never lose this. Never lose the fact that Christian faith begins with the love of God for us, not our love for him. This is where I think some Christians and many churches as well go wrong. They move on from this. All that, that stuff about Jesus dying, okay, we've got that down. Let's move on to other things. Let's move on to helping the poor and doing this or whatever, which are all good things, of course. We never move on from this. We only go deeper and deeper in understanding a God who loves us enough to make us and to save us. God loves us enough to give us his own son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And through him, he propitiates our sins and bring salvation to this world. Look at verses 3 to 6. We respond then. We respond to God's love by living a life of love. What do we do with the fact that God has provided such a great gift and the gift of His Son? We respond to His love for us by seeking to love others. He starts here sort of recapping from the first chapter. This is uh, how we know that we know Him. I noticed he didn't say this is how we come to know Him, but this is how we know that we already know Him. By keeping his commands. Those who know God through Christ will seek to obey his commands. Uh, Again, it's not an if. It's a a definite. We'll fail. But we are seeking to walk in the light. We're seeking to do the truth. This is how we know that we know him. And he repeats again from chapter 1. If somebody says, I know him, but they're, they're claiming to be in fellowship with God, but they don't actually keep his commands. They have no interest in keeping his commands. And then he says, you're a liar. You're a hypocrite. You're, you're claiming something with your mouth, but you're not actually living it. It's not actually true for you. He says, but those who do keep his word, what happens? The love of God is perfected in that person. This is what God's doing. He's giving his great love for us through Christ to change us, to break sort of our shell of sin and rebellion and to see his own love alive and at work in us. 
This is how John writes. He wants to fill us. He wants, this, he wants this love to not only fill us, but overflow out of us into others. He says this is what we do. We walk in the same way that Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? Jesus lived as the only perfect human being. <laughs> he lived as the only perfectly loving human being. He's the ultimate example of someone who lived with love perfected in him. And love is powerful. It's a powerful thing. I remember hearing before that uh, babies in an orphanage, they get sick and unhealthy, and some even pass away if nobody just picks them up and holds them. Isn't that amazing? So they have to, have to send people around to just pick up the baby, hold the baby, snuggle the baby for a little while, put it down, go through it. Just the feeling, the affection that somebody in this world actually cares for them has a direct influence on their health and their survival. Even hearing those words, I love you. And a lot of people have a hard time saying that. A lot of people, maybe even more so, have a hard time receiving that, to hearing those words, I love you. Love is risky, we know that. You're putting yourself out there when you love something. Even loving an animal, a pet, a dog, is risky. Because what if the dog passes away or doesn't really love you back or whatever? It hurts. The love is to, to put out something on the table, to risk something. Love is diverse. One author wrote a book called The Four Loves. Just talking about the diversity of love. There's friendship love. We use the word love in that context. There's family love. <laughs> It's different than the love of friendship. There's, of course, romantic love. That's uh, different than those other categories. And there's this charity, or sometimes translated charity, love for people, love unselfishly. It's a prism. Love changes lives, friends. Think of someone who has sort of a, a diamond hard shell, you know, unbreakable sort of bitterness to this world. Only one thing that's going to break through that. Someone's going to have to love that person again and again and again and continually until finally they break open that shell. Now, if you really want to understand love, sometimes you've you got to think about the opposite. What's the opposite of love? Actually, it's not so easy to define. Uh, how many people would say the opposite of love is hate? Okay. How many people would say the opposite of love is indifference? I think it's, you've got about half and half, right? So love is such a strong emotion, maybe its opposite is actually indifference, to not care about it at all, to be indifferent to something. Or is it the opposite emotion, one of hate? Either way, it's destructive, it's murderous, it's cruel. Anything that has that for an opposite, think about how powerful the reality is. Love is powerful. And what John is saying is through Christ and his gift on the cross, God's love becomes perfected in us. Now again, we're not there yet. We'll never be there in this world. I think that's a good reminder. Uh, it's a mighty long journey, but I'm on my way, right? We'll never actually say, I got there. Love is perfect in me. <laughs> that's, a big place, that's a bad place to be, friends. We're, we're always learning to love better. But God is at work through His Spirit in us. He's... He's at work overflowing love in us. He's at work perfecting his love in us. And that's shown practically through obedience, as he's saying. 
Those who seek to obey God's commands, which primarily are summarized as love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Those who seek to obey God's command are showing this love overflowing in us. If you want a practical example, what does that love look like practically? Look at Jesus. That's what he says. Those who love would walk as Jesus did. Jesus was patient with everybody. Interestingly enough, he was least patient with the religious leaders. (laughs) He was least patient with the religious hypocrites. That's who he was least patient. He was more patient with the prostitutes and the drunkards and the criminals than almost anyone. He loved the unlovable, even when there was nothing to be gained in return. We see plenty of examples of, of Jesus loving when he's tired, when he's hungry, at one point where Jesus gets away with his disciples to a deserted place to rest after a long, busy season of of ministry or a busy few days of ministry. And as they're sort of in this deserted place, a bunch of crowds, a crowd of people find out where they are and they show up. So what does Jesus do? (sighs) Tired and hungry, he goes and ministers to help them. Friends, love is challenging. It should be. A good principle might be to to love till it hurts. (laughs) If, if you're not hurt by love a little bit, you're probably not loving as well as you should be. Uh, you're called to love, love a stranger, someone you've never met. I love those who are, who are most different than us, right? Uh, again, to love even our enemies. You put yourself out there and you get betrayed or you get hurt or somebody doesn't return the love that you expected. Friends, that's just, that's just the Christian life. We love till it hurts. For Jesus... He loved until he was nailed to a tree. Verses 7 through 11. Walking in the light means loving our brothers. Walking in the light means loving our brothers. And I think we could add our sisters as well. He talks here about this old, new commandment to love. Now, you may be wondering, what is, he, is it new or is it old? What is he getting at here? He says, uh, it's not new. Uh, it's old. And then he says, it's not old, it's new. So which one is it? Uh, what is he getting at here? And I think what he's saying is, in some sense, the call to love, to love our neighbor, uh, that goes back quite a ways. <laughs> that's, not, that's nothing new. In fact, if you, you've heard the love your neighbor as yourself, most people say, yeah, that's what Jesus taught. Actually, Jesus was quoting from the book of Leviticus, believe it or not. Right? In Leviticus, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. This has been around for a long time. And I think we could even go before the Torah. We could say right from Adam and Eve, right from the garden, right from the human beings being created, right in our conscience, we understand that the calling is to love. This is an old commandment. We've had it for a long time, for as long as human beings have been on this planet. So why is it new? Well, he explains it. It's a new, new commandment because it's true in him, meaning we see it alive and real in Jesus. Why is it new? It says because the darkness is passing, <laughs> because the gospel has conquered sin and evil, and it's passing out of this world. Something has changed about this commandment. It's new because the light right now is already shining. Matthew Henry writes, the command to love one another has been enforced from the beginning of the world, but it might be called a new command as given to Christians. It was new in them as their situation was new in respect to its motives, its rules, and its obligations. There's a new power now to actually live in love. We're able to do what we could never do without Christ and without His Spirit. 
He puts it here right to real life. If someone says he's in the light, but hates his brother, then he isn't. He's in the dark. The one who loves is in the light, and there's no cause for him to stumble. The light, of course, also reveals things, makes things clearer so we can see. We understand that envy or jealousy or bitterness, that these are not things of love. We can see clearly in the light. Those are things of hatred. We put them behind us. We walk away from that. We continue in the light. The one who hates, he says, is still in the dark. What do you do in the dark? You stub your toe, right? You fall downstairs or something even worse. Spiritually, you stumble all over the place. You don't know how to love well if you walk in the dark, if you don't know God and don't know his commands. He's calling here to love our brother. And brothers and sisters, I believe here in this context, and John refers to the church, the church, probably particularly the local church that he's writing to, but also beyond that, other Christians, brothers and sisters around the world. Um, understand, not that we only love those who are fellow Christians. That's not clearly not what he's saying. Uh, as I said, the Bible goes far beyond that. We're to love our neighbor as well. Um, think of the Good Samaritan as a great example of loving someone who's very different than us. Uh, and actually, in that case, the, the good guy is the one who has a, a different religion, <laughs> a different ethnicity uh, than the Jews. Uh, somebody that they would have sort of looked down upon ends up being the one who actually loves well. So we're not saying we only love those in the church, but I think he's saying you start there. Uh, that's your spiritual family. Uh, those are the ones you're, you're sort of doing life and ministry together with. And not only that, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are the ones that you're going to be with forever. <laughs> Not just in this world, so if you can't love them now, you're going to be with them for eternity. So learn to love those who are in Christ. Just as a side note, that's why I think here, again, not being part of a local church, and it doesn't have to be this church, any Bible-believing church, I think is a, a spiritually extremely unhealthy place to be. <laughs> the, the assumption again and again in Scripture is that a Christian is with brothers and sisters in Christ and learning to love them. It's essential. When somebody says to me, Pastor Rick, I'm not part of any church, I usually ask the question, why? I don't think I've ever heard a good answer. People don't get me. People don't understand me. Well, how, how are you doing about trying to understand other people? I've been hurt by other churches. Well, we all get hurt by churches. Eventually we move on. You know, we've got to keep going forward. I mean, I've never heard a good answer why someone is not actually part of a local church. But friends, the, the, the church is like a greenhouse. <laughs> It's like a nursery or a school. It's like a boot camp. Different illustrations here. It's, the, it's, it's where we're learning how to love one another. Uh, in one sense, it's the easiest place to love. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. In another sense, it's the hardest place to love, right? Because those are the people you're closest to. Those are the people who are going to hurt you the most because you're, you know, you're dealing with them daily and, or regularly in one sense too. But friends, that's where we learn how to love well. And then that love goes far beyond that to our neighbors and even to our enemies. Let me just give you some, some practical ways we do this. Practical ways to love your brother and your sister. One, be here. The, the ministry of presence is huge. Um, if you're not here, you can't love well, right? I mean, you can't love from a distance that well. There's the old debate versus quality time versus quantity of time. You ever heard that before? Okay, I don't spend a lot of time with my kids, but every time I spend with them, I try to make sure it's quality time. Both of them matter. 
quality and quantity. But by far, quantity is more important. I mean, yes, you want to make sure the time is used well, don't get me wrong. But you cannot make up for the absence of your presence. I would say next, practically, go beyond Sunday morning. Go beyond Sunday morning. My friends, we don't want to be a church that just gathers on Sundays, goes home, and continues with life until the next Sunday. Uh, we have community groups. Of course, we're taking a break from community groups, but it's a good opportunity to remind you of that. And again, just organic relationships that are built throughout the week. Pray for others. Don't say, I'm praying for you. Pray for others. <laughs> you know the difference, right? Don't just tell someone, I'm praying for you. Actually spend time praying, either with each other or for someone. Visit those in need. Pick up the phone and make a call. Let it go beyond Sunday morning. How do we love our brother? Get to know people. <laughs> this is where it gets hard again. Get out of your comfort zone. Get to know new people. Listen and empathize. Try to understand people's pains. Understand their life. What they're going through. And then lastly in this section, give of yourself. As God has filled your love tank with his love in Christ. Give of yourself. Give of your time. Give of your energy. Your resources. Your spiritual gifting. Give of yourself to serve others. There's two things I hate doing. Well, there's many things I hate doing. But there's two things I'm going to talk about now. I hate to paint. And I hate moving. (laughs) I hate moving boxes. And I hate painting. Guess what I get asked to do all the time? Pastor, could you help me move? Or Pastor, could you help me paint? Guess what? I'm more than happy to do it because I love you. <laughs> so, but those are two things I hate, and yet we're called to do it to help serve one another. Friends, we love as we have been loved by God. It's the mark of a Christian. Friends, I want you to, for a minute, put yourselves in the shoes of a non-Christian. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. I'm glad you're here. I don't want to exclude you, certainly. But if you're a believer in Christ, then put yourselves in the the shoes of a non-Christian. Imagine this. This is what you know about Christians. You don't know all their doctrine yet. Maybe you don't even know a lot of Christians. You hear some stuff on the news and you read some stuff in different newspapers and whatever else. And you've heard stories about the Crusades and all the bad stuff that has happened and all that. But... From your own experience, this is what you know. That they're primarily known for not being judgy, not being a hypocrite, not being closed-minded, not being religious, and not being an anti-something else. They just seem to love well. They love each other. They love people. They give their time to help others. Is that someone you're going to listen to? (laughs) That's someone you're going to know why they believe what they believe. Love is powerful. We love as God has loved us. Pray with me. Our gracious God, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you so much that the Christian faith begins with a mighty act of your love for us. Not only as our creator, but more than that, 
as our Savior. Christ our Lord entered this broken, hurting, dying world to save us. Save us from our sin, to bring us joy in Him, a true and lasting joy, to perfect His love in and through us to this broken world, and to carry us with hope into all eternity with you. But we pray. We pray for First Baptist, our church family, help us to grasp with greater depth, with greater depth, the love of God, and to see this love more and more perfected in this church body, even as we seek, Lord, to love our city and to love our world. Thank you, Father, for your grace. We look to you. We trust you. We love you. Bless us as we continue to worship and continue to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.